0: Welcome to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. WellMed Radio will educate you about health and wellness for seniors and their families throughout Bear County and Central Texas. During the next hour, your hosts Ron Aaron and nurse practitioner Cora Zhuk will share information that will help you improve your health and wellness. And now, here's Ron Aaron and Cora Zhuk. Well, thank you very much and welcome to Med Radio. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host Cora Juke. Cora is a nurse practitioner, graduate of Texas Tech University, working on her doctorate at the University of Texas Houston and we're delighted to have her here. She is moving on, has been promoted to Optum, is doing all kinds of high-level work there and has no time left. So these will be the last two shows with Cora and Makes me sad, Cora.
1: Oh, it makes me sad too, Ron. I've really enjoyed uh, doing WellMed Radio. It's It's been such a... A rewarding experience um and i hope that i've been at able to add value to some of the patient's knowledge and their care and uh yeah oh <laughs> i'm sorry ernesto i'm gonna miss all of you guys well
0: dr Robin Eikoff had recommended you and uh, you've done an outstanding job
1: uh, i appreciate it but i think the guy natural the guy that's coming in though, dr Beck, i think he's going to um take it to another level
0: Well, we look forward to that, and we will have news about the new launch and what we'll be doing coming down the road. In the meantime, let's welcome to our WellMed radio hotline, Dr. Gabriel Ortiz, who is with SA Premier. He is an internal medicine physician, and we're delighted to have him on. Uh, Dr. Ortiz,
2: welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on the show again.
0: Well, as you mentioned off the air, this is Mental Health Awareness Month, the month of uh, May. Uh, and we know, and you know in your practice, that you deal with a lot of seniors and others who have challenges with mental health issues.
2: Yes, sir. I, I see it on an everyday basis. And it's very important to highlight that mental health is an actual, um, uh, an important aspect of your overall health.
0: What are you seeing?
2: Well, uh, more often than not, I'm seeing a lot of uh, depression. Um, but more often than that, I would say is a lot of anxiety as well, which, um you know, we all experience anxiety in our everyday lives, but it's when it starts affecting our ability to live and have a good quality of life, that it becomes a, a health problem.
0: Now, what would be some of the symptoms of somebody struggling with
2: anxiety? Well, with anxiety, you know, we, we all know what anxiety feels like. I'm sure with just everyday stresses of just work, jobs, social life. Um, or or but, not you know, studying
0: for that last test
2: exactly exactly but you know with with disorders and syndromes such as you know generalized anxiety disorder um, this anxiety can be amped up to, to levels that are extreme for for these patients um, and on top of that they you know they're hesitant to go see the physician because they feel that oh no this is something that I can deal with or oh no this is something that's all just in my head or they're hearing it from their friends when in actuality there might actually be something to help kind of um, return that chemical imbalance to normal, and then actually feel better and be able to handle that anxiety um, on a uh, on a more uh, normal level. So some symptoms would be just you know if you wake up and your mind's just suddenly start running. The same way when you go to bed, you might not even go to sleep because your anxiety is just through the roof. Um, and more often than not, I get people that are just overly anxious for for things that. Um, you know people without that disorder wouldn't normally be as anxious about.
1: You know, I, I love that you've said, and you you mentioned the chemical imbalance that's associated with anxiety and depression. So many patients, they, they blame themselves and they think they can control this. and And that's one thing as a provider that I, I spend a lot of time with patients explaining to them, this is out of your control. No matter what you do, there's nothing that you can do to restore that balance a lot of times it it requires it requires medication sometimes it requires counseling you have to learn new behaviors you have to learn a whole new thought process and then also learning how to manage your own symptoms and calm yourself down you also mentioned about the sleep and and you know anybody who does not sleep well ends up with even more anxiety so i can only imagine the anxious person who isn't sleeping how they must feel the next day and the next day until their body is just completely exhausted.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I agree. How much sleep should we have uh, on average? Is there a rule of thumb there?
2: Uh, On average, uh, you know, the the healthy number is about eight hours. Now, whether that's true or not, uh, it it depends on the person. I myself average about maybe six, if I'm lucky, or six and a half. Uh, I can't speak for anyone else, but generally around, I'd say, six and a half to eight is, is about healthy.
1: Now, as we age, and, and a lot of our seniors expect eight hours of sleep, is it normal for a senior to to expect that they should get eight hours of sleep? Or don't, do we see that they're not sleeping as much? Maybe they don't require as much sleep. They do nap during the day. So what do you usually tell your senior patients who are expecting, uh, you know, maybe wanting sleeping medication because they're not able to sleep?
2: Right. And that's actually a, a great point. I've been seeing a lot of that, especially since I uh, moved out here to my own practice and seeing my own patients. And Really, to answer your question, um, you know, I, I agree. I think as we start seeing people age, with them taking naps during the day, um, we start seeing their sleeping cycle start to taper off, if you will. You know, they go to sleep early and wake up early in the morning, sometimes you know, three, four o'clock in the morning, um, sometimes earlier, um, and they do come searching, you know, for some type of way to maintain that eight hours of sleep because they feel like, oh well, since I got eight hours before, there's no reason for me to get eight hours again, um, and I guess just Depending on a lot of variables and how they sleep, I, I would say that um, it, it really just kind of depends on what we call, and I'm sure you know the term as well, Cora, the sleep hygiene. Um, you know, uh, I know that with the advent of Netflix and Hulu and things like that, people tend to turn on their TVs and, and fall asleep to the TV and um, or go to sleep later or, or do various other activities before they go to sleep. And actually, you know, if you turn off the TV before you go to sleep and... Um, you allow yourself some time time for your body to relax. Um, it might actually help with your sleep in the end run.
0: All right, hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. If you just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, nurse practitioner Cora Juke. And we're talking on a WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. Gabriel Ortiz. He is a specialist in internal medicine. You find him at San Antonio Premier, and we're delighted to have him with us. He uh, completed his residency in internal medicine at Oshner Medical Center in Jefferson, Louisiana, and he's a member of the American College of Physicians. And as we talk about anxiety, as we talk about mental health, awareness, and addiction, uh, you mentioned addiction, and, and I'm sure that there are some of your patients, young and old, who will confess to you that, you know, I just have a couple of shots of whiskey before I go to bed, and that makes all the difference.
2: Right, right, and we do see a, a great number of that um, in, in the community.
1: You know, a lot of our patients will use alcohol. They'll also use medications um, such as pain medication and sleeping medication that it unfortunately stimulates an addiction over time or a dependency, if you will, over time. And and a lot of time, that's that's difficult for patients to grasp because they think, well, I just have a couple of beers. The couple of beers is normal for me. And if but if those beers are what you depend on every night to get to sleep or if that ambient is something you depend on, that is called an addiction or a dependency. And that's a difficult concept for people to understand or even to admit It's There's a faux pas with it. It's
0: like folks who take Benadryl for the same reason.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and I know that people who have mental disorders such as or chemical imbalances such as depression and anxiety sometimes will turn to a lot of these medications for help.
0: So how do you intervene, doctor, when uh, you detect that somebody is struggling with maybe depression, maybe anxiety, uh, maybe an addiction to alcohol uh, or opioids or some other narcotic? How do you get them to focus on it and perhaps get them clean?
2: Well, that's actually a, a very good question. that um, It runs into kind of a, a puzzle for us as well, because as physicians, you know, first of all, we have to get them to, to admit that they, that they have a, an addiction and that it is a problem. And, you know, we have, we have screening tests and, and in terms of taking uh, accurate patient history that we can use to determine whether someone is using alcohol safely or if it's an, a dependency or an addiction um, now, if it's determined it's a dependency or an addiction, um, we are able to, over here at SansoMir, we are able to provide a numerous list of different resources that we can direct the patient towards, on, and then myself, uh, you know, bring the patient back every few weeks or every few months just to make sure that they're on track with, um, you know, getting clean or getting off uh, of whatever they're abusing or dependent on safely
0: you know the old adage you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink
2: exactly
1: and it is hard especially for people who have been dependent on opioids for a very long time you know their their brain is such a powerful instrument and and sometimes it works against people. So, you know, where they might have had back surgery years ago and, and required pain medication for the back surgery, their mind is still telling them that they're having this pain and it's manifesting physically for them. And so the thought of getting off of opioids after a long period of time is very scary. See, it's interesting. I had knee
0: replacement surgery not long ago, doctor, I guess over a year now. Uh, and uh, post-surgery, they prescribed Hydrocodone, uh, which I uh, I took briefly, I didn't like it. I don't know what people get out of it. What well, what is it they're feeling that they get hooked on it? I just didn't want to take it the way it made me feel.
1: Well, you know, Ron, it's it's interesting because we're talking here about mental health, and and there are people who are predisposed to. To liking that feeling. So maybe and, I was lucky. And and they're dependent on that feeling. Um, I'm with you. I, I don't like the way it makes me feel. It makes me feel itchy all over. It yes. makes me feel like I don't have any control over and what's I couldn't going sleep. on. Yeah, what's going on inside my mind. But I but I look at somebody like my grandmother who is on long term opioids for for osteoarthritis um, and multiple compression fractures over time. You told
0: me you're grandmother could break a bone yeah, rolling over she, in bed. She's so
1: fragile, so very fragile that literally she she broke a hip walking down a step. Oh. It didn't break first. Oh she God. actually, st- you know, her bones yeah. are just so fragile. And so she's been on these long-term opioids and, and you know, she'll tell you, I don't want to take them, but I'm so fearful of getting off of them because it it, it hurts, but... I also understand that there's an underlying depression there as well. And I think that we have done disservice to our patients not addressing that, that mental chemical imbalance first and, and helping to correct that and then also to help them or arm patients with, with the tools necessary to help them manage their own depression, which will also help manage their addiction.
0: So, Dr. Ortiz, do you all look for? And I know more and more providers are doing this alternative forms of pain relief.
2: Uh, yes, that's primarily what we are supposed to look for. I myself, I can't speak for him, but I myself do look look for um, some type of alternative medications. Um, you know, the the higher dose nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories. Um, you know, for instance, there's one that um, I use tramadol. Uh, that's a, that's a safe alternative to an extent. Um, and, and there's other other things that we can use. Also, I should also point out that there are also um, pain management doctors that exist in in this community, too, that specialize in pain that we um, request the help of, and they help us manage people's pain to a safe degree and level so that um, patients that are either addicted or dependent can get off or that patients that have a pain requirement uh, for these medicines are done so in a safe manner.
0: It's interesting. There's a new uh, just-formed uh, organization uh, to provide support and group help for uh, those suffering from chronic pain. My friend uh, Susan Blackwood has uh, started that program, uh, and they're getting a tremendous positive response from both providers and patients.
2: Yep, those programs. Um, I'm not aware of, of hers, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm aware of some other programs um, out there that have had incredible results for patients in this community uh, in regards to chronic pain.
1: You know the unfortunate thing is that we don't have enough um resources as far as psychiatrists and psychologists for our patients and a lot of their insurances don't cover or there aren't um there aren't resources available for example there's one health group here in particular that there are no mental health providers on that plan that that will take that particular plan and and I think that does our patients such a disservice here and so it it relies back on the PCP to manage their, their mental wow. health.
0: All right, stay with us. Right. We're, we're going to come right back to you, Dr. Ortiz. We really appreciate you joining us. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Cora Juke. You're listening to Wellmet Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air,
3: but what is it? Yeah, caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver.
0: And how can this program help?
3: Caregiver SOS on air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving.
0: And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need
3: it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver.
0: Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. We are so pleased you are with us here on WellMed Radio on 930 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, nurse practitioner, and we're talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. Gabriel Ortiz. He is a specialist in internal medicine, and you find him at San Antonio Premier. And Dr. Ortiz, before we move on, uh, tell us about San Antonio Premier. What are you?
2: Gladly. So San Antonio Premier Internal Medicine is a group of four practices. Uh, it is me uh, and uh, uh, another physician named Dr. Aham Schnecker, as well as a few nurse practitioners. And um, I myself have two clinics, uh, one on 4411 East South Cross Boulevard and the other one on 1139 Southeast Military Drive. And, you know, we just, we're we just out here in the south side of San Antonio uh, treating patients. Um, we take same-day walk-ins and um, referrals from ERs. Uh, but the point being is that we're always here. Our motto is always there, always care, and we really like to live up to that motto. Well,
0: I like that. Mm -hmm. That's a great motto. And for folks who are interested in uh, contacting you, are you accepting new patients?
2: Yes, sir. We're accepting new patients all the time. You can either come walk into one of our our clinics or you can call 210-648-9500 to schedule an appointment. And we'll be happy to see you.
0: And you take all forms of insurance? Yes, sir. Well, again, we appreciate you being on. We were talking about not only Mental Health Awareness Month and Addiction uh, but issues that roll out of both anxiety and depression. Uh, what, what other mental health issues do you see among your patients uh, that you have to deal
2: with? Um, another one that's most common that I, I see um, in my clinic is, is bipolar. Um, I think um, going to further core point earlier before the break, um, You know we don't have enough uh, mental health providers, specifically um, psychiatrists, counselors in the San Antonio area. I've come to find out. Um, and so, as internal medicine physicians, you know, we're trained in a little bit of psychiatry so that we can come out to communities such as this and function as a, you know, go-to psychiatrist, I guess, um, until the psychiatry people are available for these patients. Um, and so, you know, you have these people with these long list of mental health issues um, that need help. And so, one of those big ones for us is definitely bipolar.
0: And the symptoms that you're seeing.
2: Uh, well, that, that, can, that can kind of vary. more often than not, it's a, it's a swing from really kind of the, the, the happy side of, of the emotions and uh, to, to the real sad and, and depressing kind of emotion. And, and the real characteristic factor is, is is a really swing from the two, from what we call mania to um, depression. Um, sometimes those symptoms can be um, kind of coordinated with other symptoms uh, depending on what type of bipolar they have. Um, but really that's kind of the mainstay of of that specific mental uh, disease.
1: And, you know, you see the commercials all the time about, and there's one, I think with the house of cards and the ladies on top of the house of cards, they're talking about bipolar depression and, and, um, she is, she is shopping constantly that mania as you know she's she's up she's shopping it's that compulsion to buy so many of our patients now you know we we do have some seniors who have compulsion to buy and unfortunately they're on fixed incomes and and so it puts their family at risk financially Um, we have a lot of them that are compulsive to drink or to take medications. And and so not only is it putting their family also at risk, but their their own health at risk as well. And, you know, we do see a high rate of suicide in seniors who have bipolar, um, because the mania drives them either to shop or, or to put themselves in financial constraint. And then what are they going to do? How are they going to answer to they that? see no way out. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge deal for us to talk about um, suicide prevention and, and recognizing the signs and symptoms, especially with a caregiver, um, mm-hmm. to prevent some of that.
0: So, Dr. Ortiz, uh, do folks who have an addictive personality uh, end up, you, you deal with one addiction, you get them off of that, uh, and they switch to another? Do they jump from one to one to one?
2: Um, you know that, that's a good question. Um, and, and you know the answer to that is is, yes, I have I have seen that. Generally, people um, who have the uh, an addiction uh, um, issue with their in terms of their personality or or whatnot, um, they tend to not want to go back into that, but they some of them do fall into that trap of finding another addiction um, to satisfy the, the, the addictive personality. The most common one that I see, Um, especially in Bipolars with with manic episodes, is gambling. Mm -hmm. Um, Gambling is a big one, especially with the advent of online gambling and betting. Um, It's a big problem.
0: And we've made it so much easier now legalizing uh, online gambling that was prohibited for quite
2: a few years.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and...
2: And it shuts down, another
1: one pops up. Right. Absolutely. Right. And now even, you know, in Texas we have casinos now, um which make it readily available for our people. And and you know, it's it's kinda sad because a lot of the church groups, um, you know, they're they're looking for socialization of our seniors, and and they they advocate these buses that take the seniors, you know, for a day trip. And what do we do? And sometimes we might be feeding these addictions too. You know, we have to think about the, the socialization. Are they take them eagle pass. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it was. It, I just got back from New Mexico, and it was interesting that we're actually talking about mental health and seniors today because I just got back from New Mexico. I was in um, uh, Ruidoso and staying in the, the casino resort there, but I had to do a speaking engagement.
0: Famous racetrack in Yes,
1: yes absolutely. Um, so I, ha- I went downstairs in, <laughs> during the evening and um, the casino was relatively empty. I, w- I was surprised. It was relatively empty, but there were a few seniors there, and, and I heard a conversation between a man and a woman. I was standing outside getting a drink, and uh, this man and this woman, and the, the man kept telling her, we don't have the money to be able to do this. You can't keep doing this. And she said, oh, just one more. Just one more. I she know it's going to uh, hit. Slot machine? She was. Yeah. And, and so- You know, I think about that and I think about the potential for addiction or, you know, possibly the mental health disease associated with her addiction. You know, does she have a gambling addiction? I don't know. But I could see it putting a strain on their relationship. And it was very sad.
0: Well, they make those machines so addictive-inducing.
1: Absolutely. The music
0: and the Stimulating. lights. Stimulating. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and her saying, oh, we're so close.
1: One more, one yeah. more. And I thought, oh, no more. Just walk away. Yeah, well,
0: the only one <laughs> who wins is the house.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly the house right. House always wins. That's exactly right.
0: In, in, in your position, Dr. Ortiz, you mentioned earlier that you can refer people uh, uh, to help and to phone numbers and what have you. Uh, do they take that? Do they call, you know, Gamblers Anonymous? Do they call AA? Do they call Narcotics Anonymous?
2: Um, you know, I, I would say it's about fifty fifteen, quite honestly. If I'm if I'm being completely honest, which is a fairly, um, you know, I'd like to see that statistic higher. But you know, what providers can do, um, and I know what we do here is, you know, we, we tend to follow up with those patients. We tend to stay on top of them and make sure that they are receiving and and, and getting care that they need and going to these meetings and kind of talking through it it with them and helping them because, again, the number of uh, mental health providers here in San Antonio is very limited. Um, Sometimes they have to wait three, four months out before they even talk to somebody, and so um, we always advocate that, you know, the door's open if you want to come talk, Um, you know, we're here. Um, And more often than not, they they take us up on the offer, but, you know, again, there's a few that kind of slip through the cracks, unfortunately.
1: You know, the first step for these patients, though, is actually coming in to seek help. And a lot of them may indirectly come, you know, seek help. They they may bring their spouse with them, and that is probably a big deal for them. So they've been hiding things, and, and for the first time, they're able to bring their spouse in, and, and their spouse is able to divulge, divulge more information to the provider and give a better insight as to what's actually going on. That's the first step. What I find, though, in my practice is that women – are more likely to admit that there is an issue that they have noticed something, and they're always the first to tell on their husbands as well. Uh, but, <laughs> that's a great point. But but men typically, from what I see, they like to think that they're in control of that, and there's nothing wrong because they're seen as the head of the house. They can't be. They can't have a mental disorder because. That's weakness, and and especially in a large Hispanic culture here in San Antonio, I see that a lot. Um, I think the trend is starting to change as we see more information out there about mental health and mental health awareness. Um, we are seeing more men step forward, but for a long time we had a lot of men who would not come forward and they were being untreated. And unfortunately, that was leading to problems within their family.
0: My wife and I have a really good friend, a woman who's in her late 50s. Uh, Her husband, very successful lawyer. They are white-bred Alamo Heights residents. Uh, And she discovered really quite by accident and fortuitously for her that her husband had been spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on sex phone calls and prostitutes. Uh, He was using credit cards, which uh, were his, but uh, the credit card company notified the wife because he was overdrawn on a couple. She confronted him. He agreed to go into counseling. uh, But even on the way to the therapist sessions, uh, she was telling us not long ago, he would stop off and visit a prostitute and then go to couples counseling. Well, ultimately, enough was enough, and they got a divorce. Uh, and I don't know in your practice whether you see much in the way of sex addiction.
2: Um, no, no, I don't. Actually, I've seen it once or once or twice, but but not much. At least not much that that people will admit. Um, and you know, those are really difficult um, difficult kind of conversations to have with with people, uh, especially getting to to admit it. Um, but. Um, you know, once they do admit it, I think it's important, like I said, just to keep follow up with them um, and, and keep track of of what they're doing. but but, like you said, it's sad, but most of these, most of those stories um, related to sex addiction end up very um, unfortunate for the people.
0: Yeah, there's no happy ending.
1: Well, for a lot of right. addictions that we're seeing, you know, whether it be sex addiction or gambling, um, the, it, the internet has made things so readily available, and our seniors are on the internet. I mean, we technology is everywhere. It's not just for the kids. Yeah, the stereotype
0: of grandma not being on the internet is wrong. It
1: is wrong. It is wrong. And, and you know, they have iPhones, and, and so everything is readily available. And if you think for a minute that a senior is not curious about things, think again. You're wrong. Our brains do not do not turn off just because we're getting older. We we're still curious about things and so we look things up which you know start leading to other things that we look up and and so that can be very scary for an addictive personality. So it is. Um, well, you know, different addictions, we see, you know, sex addiction, maybe not so much. I think it's out there. I think it's definitely out there for our senior population. But regardless, those who are addicted or dependent upon something, there is usually that underlying mental health issue, such as depression. They're trying to fill that void that they're feeling. And so to be able to correct that or give them the tools to self-correct is so important. That's
0: the itch they can't
1: scratch. Absolutely. Now, if
0: you You've just joined us. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, and we're talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. Gabriel Ortiz. He is uh, an internal medicine specialist, and uh, you can check him out as well. We'll get a phone number from him in a little while if you want to give him a call and and ask uh, to book an appointment to come in as a potential new patient for his practice. We're talking in... uh, uh, light of Mental Health Awareness Month, about mental health, not only awareness, but addictions and other issues that go along with that. Uh, and, Dr. Ortiz, I guess one of the issues that often happens is people are just not able uh, to maintain their quality of life. They reach a point, uh, depending on what their addiction is, uh, where, where they just have no money left.
2: Right, and that's that's one of the biggest issues that that we see is, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, by the time people come and see us, um, their savings are depleted. Um, you know, their, their living situation is, is now becoming non-existent or, or that much, you know, closer to non-existent. And, um, you know, at that point, it, it's really hard to, to kind of recover from, from that, but it's still possible. So we always like to advocate and screen for that at a very early time. That we can jump on that before it gets to that point.
0: Now, when you screen for it, do people tell you the truth? Because I know, for example, every smoker lies. How much do you smoke? Right. Maybe a cigarette or two a day, maybe. How much right. do you drink? I, I, I may have a maybe a <laughs> glass of wine.
2: Exactly. No one in my practice smokes or drinks. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, you know, people. You're right. People do. People do um, lie and. and uh, if it's the first visit, we kind of expect. I kind of expect it, but whenever you get established with someone, um, I I always kind of kind of pick up on certain cues and 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 tells, if you will, um, that that can lead me to a certain type of questioning. And um, at that point, it's really about getting the patient to open up to me and um, having a conversation about it, rather than. Um, you know, me talking down to them, because more often than not, that's, that's their fear, right? As you come in to see a doctor and, you know, they're going to scold you for, you know, smoking or drinking or whatever else have you. Um, we over here, you know, myself included, um, you know, we like to sit the patients down and just have a casual conversation tell them, you know, this is addiction is an illness. It's, it's, it's a sickness, you know, it's not, it's not anything that um, they can control at a certain point and it's
0: something that we can help them with. And hoarding is a similar kind of issue where uh, people need help. I remember several years ago I was running the animal defense league, got a call from a woman who lived uh, off of Eisenhower, not far from the Eisenhower flea market, who asked if I could come over. She needed help with some cats, uh, and she told me this story that was uh, certainly powerful and moving. So I said, okay, okay, we'll come over, and I brought a couple of uh, uh, techs with us. Uh, to try to catch these kittens to uh, get them neutered and get the mama neutered. And it's the first time I have ever walked into a home where they were hoarders. And floor to ceiling, just stuff, and little pathways that cut through uh, various parts of the living room and the dining room and into the kitchen. It was amazing to me. Uh, Have you ever been to a home like that, Doctor?
2: No, I haven't. But I, I'm sure we all know someone or, or heard stories. Um, those are pretty, pretty extreme um, addictions and circumstances, but it is an addiction nonetheless. Right.
1: And most of them are trying to fill a void. So I can tell you, my my husband is a San Antonio firefighter, and he tells stories about patients that they make all the time that are hoarders and and have this exact same situation that you discussed. And and you think about here they call nine one one and they're having a massive stroke or a heart attack, and you can't even get a stretcher in to get right. the patient, and. You know, it's 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 interesting because the stories that he tells when he talks to the patients or the family who live there, they're apologetic about it. They they know that there's something wrong, but they're just not sure how to get the help. And I think like I said before, admitting it is the first step and coming to your provider and saying look, this is what's going on. I can't guarantee that I can fix it today, but I need you to know this is what's going on. And it gives the the clinician insight into how they can help and, and what direction to refer to. Because... Otherwise, we don't know what's going on. We don't know the underlying. We don't live at these people's homes. We see them once every three months, and we assu- assume that everything's okay because they're not saying anything. So it's it It's really good for patients to know that they need to establish with a PCP who they can trust and and divulge that important information so that they can get the help they need.
0: Now, of late, more and more physicians, Wellman included, either on their own or with social workers are making house calls and home visits.
1: Absolutely, a- absolutely. And, and I know that, you know, WellMed also sees some of the contracted uh, physicians like Dr. Ortiz's patients and, and are able to go and give them a report about, hey, here's what's going on in the home to give him better insight in case the patient isn't willing to divulge that information.
0: Have you been surprised by uh, some of the information you finally uh, get about somebody who comes in, you know, looks well kept, clean, groomed, and it turns out they're a absolute lost hoarder.
2: Oh yeah, uh, and, and you know, it, it's actually more, and maybe Corey can attest, it's actually more common than not that most people with addictions, at least that I've seen, have been uh, professionals actually. They come in uh, well-kept, well-clean, um, and then once they finally admit it um, and open up, you know, these people, um, you know, have serious addictions. Most of it is substance abuse, um, but there is a good number that, you know, um, do hoard and and other
1: things as well. Absolutely. You know, and and we do, you're right. You see a lot of professionals and and even as we start to see our seniors that are still working, they're able to hide it so much easier. They're hiding it from their family because they're professionals and they don't have a lot of people coming over to their house. They don't um, have people in their business. Their family doesn't need to take control of things. And so They're not aware, the family may not be aware of the medications that they're taking, the opioids that they're taking to put that front Mm. on, or believe it or not, we have a lot of people who are self-medicating as the, as the wave starts to come through with medicinal, medicinal marijuana. We have a lot of people, even our seniors who are self-medicating with marijuana and well, that has its own issues in itself, you know, choosing to get in the car and drive and, and there may be picking up grandkids, you really got to think about all of these things and the dangers that you're putting others through as well, just to, to help with your own, you know, issues or mental health. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. It's hard.
0: And where someone, as you're describing, Dr. Ortiz, uh, looks perfectly uh, well-suited, well-adjusted, mentally competent, and you discover there's this other side to them, uh, are they receptive to help?
2: Yeah, I, I, think, I think once it, it's out there in the open, because I find that people um, in these positions, professionals or the elderly that still work, have had these successful lives, and so they almost don't want to admit it to themselves that it's an actual problem. But in some way or fashion, in saying it out loud or to somebody else, it suddenly becomes a reality for them. And so I do find that more often than not, once it actually is admitted or said out outwardly to somebody, um, they tend to be proactive in, in, in getting it taken care of. So that's that um, ten thousand
0: pound gorilla.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: How do you intervene?
2: Well, it, it just again, it just depends on what exactly we're we're talking about. But for um, you know, conversation's sake, if it's alcohol or, or pill dependence, um, you know, there is alternative resources to to um, direct the patients towards, and then the importance of the physician, you know, that being myself or, you know, one of my nurse practitioners to stay on top of the patient, follow follow up with the patient, make sure that they are attending meetings, and um, even if it's just a matter of sitting down and just having a frank and honest discussion about, um, you know, how it's affecting their lives and, um, you know, different ways of going about changing it. I think as long as it's out there in the open and, and you're encouraging and someone's encouraging them to deal with it, more often than not, uh, these types of patients tend to um, go to these resources or centers and, and seek help.
0: I bet you've got some success stories you can share with us. We don't need the names. But but give us an example of how somebody uh, ended up pulling themselves back together with, sure, help, sure. with help, of course.
2: Sure. Um, so I do have a few stories. Um, one of them is actually this – He's a young man, and he's um, very successful in his business, um, and he's particularly, um, over time it came to the fruition that he is addicted to uh, marijuana consumption. And um, like Corey illustrated, it has its own set of issues, but in this particular instance it led to things like um, alcohol consumption, maybe trying some other drugs, or getting involved with prostitutes, you know, things, things of that nature. Um, and once it was brought to light, um, this gentleman and I had a couple of frank discussions over the course of a month, maybe two. And, um, you know, over the course of, I guess, six, seven months, I didn't hear from him for a few months. Um, he came back and he really just, he thanked me and he told me all the different ways, you know, that he got, um, over his addiction. Um, you know, he met, he met a, a group, I guess it was a group that he found online in San Antonio that was, you know, a group of professionals dealing with the same thing that he um, became friends with and once, I guess, he was in good company and once he knew that, you know, he admitted to this problem and it was affecting his life and he had support, the support structure needed to get through this, um, he was successful in getting over everything. Now he's doing doing very well.
0: And you said the key word there, it was affecting his life.
2: Right. And, and, and that's, that's really what we see with these individuals. Um, in this particular instance, you know, this gentleman, while he was a successful businessman at a very young age, um, it was affecting other aspects of his life that would eventually have either, A, gotten him fired from the job because he would have gotten caught, um, or B, um, it would have gotten him another disease, albeit maybe an STD or another type of infection, um, or see it would have destroyed his social life. And, and these are all negative things that can affect a person's overall health.
0: You think about some of the very high-profile uh, NBA and NFL and baseball players uh, who get an obscene amount of money at a very young age and who end up getting caught doing drugs.
2: Right, and it's very sad. It's very sad. It is sad. This, it's very sad. And the other end of the spectrum... You know, I do see those, those patients as well that come see me after the fact. You know, I got fired from my job or all I got, you know, um, um, caught with this and I couldn't get this job. And it's it's sad because, you know, these people also commonly have families as well. You know, wives, kids, responsibilities, um, and it's not just men, it's women too. Um, and um, it, it's really um, sad. I, I'm still trying to figure out how to combat that but you know specifically with people who get a lot of money at, at young ages, um, there has to be some type of responsibility on either the part of the person giving them the money or the healthcare provider themselves.
1: Yeah, it it is. You know, and, and that's the image that our that our patients, our generations, our kids see that, you know, here they're they're getting all this money and, and they they're not doing positive, necessary. Always, they're not always doing positive things with it. Now, there are the alternative. There are people who are doing very positive things with it. They're they're helping rebuild communities, and, and they're investing their money wisely. And so, those are the ones that we need to to put on the forefront of for our children to see.
0: There was a neat story about uh, uh, Shaquille O'Neal the other day out in Los Angeles. Uh, Shaq heard about a a young man who was a high school student had a huge foot like. Shaquille O'Neal does, a size 18. He couldn't afford to buy shoes. Shaq took him shoe shopping, bought him 10 pairs of shoes.
2: (laughs) That's cool. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, that that's really cool. I wish we had more more stories like that. You know, oh, I'm from sure they're out there. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. We, we just need to we need to publicize them um, rather than showing the bad behavior that that we see. And you know, it's funny because going back to the to the mental health thing, you know, the bad behavior that we're seeing when you give somebody who might have an underlying condition, a mental health condition, or a compulsion or something like that, when you give them a substantial amount of money. These these compulsive behaviors start to come out. I mean, that's when we start to see them, right? They didn't have them when they were poor because there was no money. That's what
0: Doctor Ortiz was suggesting: that people providing the income ought to take some responsibility.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. And and you know, it's the same. It's our it's the same going back to like our seniors. So he, you give. You give somebody with an addictive personality who is addicted to or might be dependent upon opioids, you give them um, they have a surgery, they fall, they hurt themselves. And, you know, if provider who doesn't know them, they go to a new provider, they give them some opioids. That's like a kid in a candy store for some of our seniors. And so it just starts the cycle over. Um, what I do love to see is is when dependency goes into remission and you see those patients who are excited about, hey, I used to have a dependency up on this medication and I don't anymore. Right. And they're so proud of themselves. And those are the examples that I like to share with the patients who are currently going through the addiction. And well,
0: some of those patients... Come talk to those others. You know,
1: it, what's nice about at WellMed, we do have peer-to-peer discussions and, and support groups. And I know they do in the communities as well, outside of WellMed, um, where we have people who have former addiction or former mental health issues who come back and can can tell them, look, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I, I was there in your shoes, but I can help you through it.
0: It has ultimate credibility. I mean, it's one thing f- for you, a uh, nurse practitioner, Corey Duke, or Dr. Ortiz to tell a patient about X. Right. But when
1: you've been in the trenches and you've actually experienced it, you have a whole different perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And
0: so as you think about the direction we as a nation are going in with the baby boomers, 10,000 a day uh, turning 65, bringing with them drugs, sex, rock and roll uh, as they age out, they don't lose those behaviors automatically.
2: No, no, they don't. Uh, I, I see quite a few of those patients, and, and you know, they have interesting stories to say the least. But um, uh. from, from times before I was born. But you know, needless to say, I think I think there needs to be a culture change. And, and to kind of go on what Cora was, uh, I think, starting to illustrate. You know, when I was in training, one of my um, attendings, one of my lecturers, um, he said something that kind of struck out or, or struck a chord with me, um, and, and that was that. It, this was on the verge of the opiate crisis in America, uh, because there is an opiate crisis. But um, he said one thing, and that was that it is our fault. Our fault being healthcare providers, and it really kind of struck me. And the reasoning behind that is kind of a core was illustrating right the kid in the candy store. You know, someone's in pain. You know, here's some narcotics. Someone just had a surgery. You know, here's two months worth of narcotics. This was something that back in the day that doctors used to do and physicians used to do very common, commonly. It's very commonplace. Um, and nowadays we're actually seeing the repercussions of it, um, both from the patients and, you know, it actually affecting their health. So we as providers, both, you know, nurse practitioners, doctors, physician assistants, um, we have some responsibility to, to take here and actually take a hold of this crisis.
0: All right, stick with us. We're going to come right back to you talking with Dr. Gabriel Ortiz on our WellMed Radio Hotline. I'm Ron Aaron, along with nurse practitioner, Cora Juke on WellMed Radio. Carol Zorna, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is
3: it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this
0: program help?
3: Caregiver SOS on air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving. And one of the things we learn from so many
0: folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it.
3: Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver.
0: Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. We're having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Gabriel Ortiz. He is a specialist in internal medicine, talking about Mental Health Awareness Month, which is the month of May, as well as addictions. He is with San Antonio Premier Internal Medicine, and we're getting a sense of how he deals and others deal as providers with people who are struggling with mental disease and mental illness. Uh, there's a group here in town, Dr. Ortiz, that does an amazing job helping those who uh, have difficulty functioning on a day-to-day basis. It's the San Antonio Clubhouse. It provides social interaction. It's not a medical facility. doesn't provide counseling, but it does provide job training, job opportunities, all kinds of social opportunities for folks uh, who have been isolated, uh, who haven't had those opportunities. And it's, if you're not uh, familiar with it, it's worth uh, taking a look. Uh, San Antonio Clubhouse uh, right near uh, I-10 and Fredericksburg Road. Uh, They're really good people over there. Mark Stolci is the executive director and they love giving tours.
2: Yeah, that sounds actually amazing. I, I actually just wrote that down on my notepad as you were speaking about it. Um, I'll definitely have to look into it. Thank you for sharing that.
0: SAClubhouse.org.
1: It's nice to have resources like that available. Um, go, going back to what we said before the break, you know, I, I I completely agree with you. This is this is the opioid addiction is something and, and the crisis is something that we have created. And so now we have to stop it. It's come back full circle to us and we have to stop it. And educating to us our patients. Absolutely. Um, but providing that good education. That's why you really want to find a physician who has the time to sit down with you and and discuss this. First, you gotta establish that relationship. You can't I wouldn't want to open up to a, as a patient. I wouldn't want to open up to a physician or a clinician who I don't I can't establish any type of relationship with I I don't maybe trust them I'm a little scared I'm a little intimidated so you want to have that good relationship and and you know it's, it's nice to sit down and have a friendly environment um, that you can establish that trust and talk and, and say look here's what I'm going through here's what I need help with and so I love that you know Dr. Ortiz has openings and that he, he you know he's like I'm willing to take new patients and that he is so passionate about mental health and addiction and wanting to help our patients get better.
0: And, of course, uh, uh, you're part of the WellMed network. Uh, WellMed is opening up their uh, uh, clinics to folks who have commercial insurance who may be a lot younger than uh, what has been the average WellMed patient. So uh, you will, as I'm sure you did early on in in your career, be seeing younger patients who bring with them some different issues involving mental health and mental illness.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, You know, me, myself, being 31 years old, about to be 32 years old, I, I think that those types of people, the young younger crowd, tend to kind of flock towards towards me in this community. And, and as such, um, I have seen all sorts of um, crazy stories and descriptions and, and really just also sad, sad, unfortunate events as well. Um, but I also appreciate the fact that younger crowd tends to kind of come towards me for this because, uh, like Corey illustrated, you know, it, sometimes it can be hard to make that connection with someone, and I'm hoping that, you know, my image and my friendliness and personality and, you know, me being a young doctor can can help these people really kind of seek help and, and feel comfortable in a, in a really, um, a, a really um, a, a awful situation that they're going to need um, some help with.
0: So give us a phone number for folks who want to get a hold of you.
2: Sure, sure. So you can dial 210-648-9500, and you can schedule an appointment anytime you'd like.
0: That's 210-648-9500. And do you still get Doogie Howser
1: references?
2: I get it all the time, believe
1: it or not. And, you know, their office is very convenient. It's it's very easy to find. So if you're familiar with the southeast side of town, right across the road from the old Southeast Baptist Hospital um, is is their office. And and it looks like a a nice home. It's very friendly and inviting when you walk into the the office. That's cool. Um, And he's got great staff. So I think anybody who goes there would be extremely um, supported as a patient, but very happy to be there
0: we got to say goodbye. We, we are flat out of time, uh, Dr. Ortiz. But thank you so much for coming on again. We look forward to talking, you, uh, talking with you again down the road.
2: Thank you so much. I look forward to it as well.
0: Okay, you take care. Dr. Gabriel right. Ortiz right. uh, with our co-host, Corey Chuk. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on WellMed Radio at 930 AM, The Answer. You've been enjoying WellMed Radio. An exclusive presentation of WellMed Medical Management. Join us next week for more on your health and well-being. For more information on WellMed or to hear this broadcast again, go to WellMedMedicalGroup.com. We'll see you next week on WellMed Radio.